get that beautiful zoom Got voice it. telling you that recording's in process. Got it. Yeah. So don't don't stand up with no pants on. <laughs> yeah. Are you even wearing pants? Uh, I mean, yeah, I am today. Well done. AJ, I'm even wearing shoes right now. Yesterday we went to the Monument Show at, at Reggie's in the South Loop, and those guys have been touring for. Actually, we had Werner on the on the show, the bass player for Monuments, and they've been touring now for I think they said like five or six, seven weeks, living out of a bus. But it's interesting because they come up, they come up with ways to manage the road life uh, and still like be healthy and like do stuff instead of just sitting there and like driving and sitting there and driving and then playing for an hour and then driving, you know, <laughs> this cycle. So we were down in the the green room before the show and. The singer, I was like, "Why are you? Why are you playing DDR before?" He's like, "This is how I, ha- I like have to pump myself up, you know, just getting my energy going." And uh, another guy was doing like planks and push-ups and like core stuff. And I was like, "Why are you doing that? Are you just pumping yourself up?" He's like, "No, like I headbang with so much of my body that if I don't like strengthen myself, I'm just super sore." When Werner was, we were talking to him. He was talking about sleeping on the bus van transportation method and how some people sleep don't sleep well because you're moving like it's, it's like bumpy vibrating moving around which yep. i never even thought about the, the guitar player was sleeping when we were down there and they're like sorry about john like he's he's just super tired because the bed he has in the bus <laughs> is the in the back and it every time they hit a bump he flies up in the air <laughs> Poor guys. Sounds terrible. It's rough. All right, let's start the show. Let's let's get into it, man. Let's do it. All right, everybody, we're back. We're doing three weeks in a row with Full Grain Podcast. I'm here with Nick Corwin. What's up, Nick? Hey, Phil. How are you, man? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm so good right now. I'm pumped that we're not skipping a week and uh, we're recording this. Gosh, seven hours before I, I normally publish the episode. So hopefully I can get this turned around quickly. I want to talk to you today about the stitch down camp. And number one, why aren't you there? Oh, well, I was supposed to be there. And, um, John Cullen, who's, who, uh, works at Horween was there for Horween other company and also for Tannery Row. He had two booths set up. Um, I just had my, I was supposed to go with actually my wife and my kids were going to go and my mother-in-law was going to meet us and we were going to make like a little trip out of it in New York city. And everyone other than myself fell ill Oh, geez. and had, we had some little plumbing emergency <laughs> at my house also. So it just, it, it got too complicated, but hopefully if they do it next year, I am, I'm hoping I can go. Yeah. I'm go honestly surprised. Year. I'm surprised with all that going on. We could do this. Uh, but I'm glad. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, getting on a plane was a little bit more complicated, but yeah, I was bummed out that I missed it cause I saw pictures of it and there were some people there that I wanted to meet that I haven't met yet. And anyway, next time. Yeah. Well, so but, today I was kind of hoping that we could sort of virtually have your, I guess a simulated way of what you normally, or what you would have presented if you were had to have been there. I know like I was invited to go. And I also, I actually knew way ahead of time that I couldn't go. I, I planned to not go. <laughs> so like no emergency happened, um, which is 
you know, this is like crunch time for our business and like getting things ready for the holidays. And we've been shorthand. It's, it's, it's difficult to carve out even two days, especially with the family and stuff. Um, but honestly, like I would have loved to go like selfishly, it would have been incredible. Fun. Yeah. It's just like fun. right? Uh, but fun. It, I guess like for me, if I would have, were to have been there, the best part would be to meet all the people that we talked to, or I don't know how much you interact in discord, but you know, just cool people. It seems like there's a lot of great, I don't know, in the world and especially like with the news over the weekend with Israel and like all this crazy, we got migrant crisis. There's like terrible stuff going on in the world. And then there's people that are just happy to look at boots with other people on the internet. And I don't know what it is there, but there's something about these group of people uh, that just seem to be kind and friendly. So I, I really like the, you know, individual personalities that, that I've come across and I would have loved to have met these guys and girls in person. Um, so that's number one for me, but, I'm certainly assuming that you would love to have met these people as well, but what types of things was, or were you planning to have showcased at bootcamp? It's tough. I don't really, cause I, it's, it, it's such a new concept for me, at least. I mean, normally we go to like, we'll go to a trade show and I mean, we really only go to um, the big one in Milan at this point. And we have like a booth set up and like, we're like one of like a sea of suppliers, like everyone from, depending on the time of year, there's like embossing presses and CNC machines and like everything that you would need to use in any kind of leather factory down to like grommets. And it's like, just like every, I mean, even non-leather, like it's not, you know, it's just everything. So being at that, we're just sort of, we have like our little tiny stall <laughs> compared to how big the place is. Uh, and then the the New York thing, I mean, I think there were, I don't know how many, like 15 people like exhibiting there or something like that. You know, I have a list and maybe this is a good chance to back up a tiny bit. If people aren't familiar with the uh, boot camp, which is a brilliant name, but could be, uh, could be a little confusing. Uh, if people aren't familiar with that, this is the a brand new event that uh, the Stitch Stone guys, our, our buddies, are just starting this year. This is the first ever boot camp, and it's just bringing together the community, like I was saying, of a bunch of people to share the passion of all these different bits of footwear and leather and uh, those types of things. So I'm looking at the presenting sponsors. We've got Grant Stone, Nick's, Fiber. I think all those people or all those companies made a, uh, a showing there. I don't know to what extent they were doing things, but I saw some Instagram photos of, uh, I'll call them out. I think it was E. Woodford, who I'd never heard from before, but I saw on their Instagram that E. Woodford had like a, a shoe making setup and they were making actual footwear on the floor there. So really cool stuff. And then some more people that were there. There was Meerman, Crown, Caswell, Francis Wapplinger, Russell Mock was there, Unmarked, uh, Pereira, who I had not heard from before. Uh, Horween Leather, E. Woodford, Galoon was there. We got Iron Boots, Tannery Row, College for Creative Studies, which I'm not familiar with, The Last uh, Last Society Detroit, and Carborn from Detroit as well. So different countries here. We got China, United States, looks like Britain, Bad with Flags. I don't know where Pereira's from. Have you heard of them, Nick? Oh, Guatemala, uh, Mexico, Spain. Great Britain, Canada for Viberg. So pretty, pretty cool stuff. It would have been amazing to go. Of course, you said John was there, 
Nick presenting for Tannery Row and Horween. I know that there's some new leathers that you guys at Horween have started to put out into the world over the last couple of years. Actually, you've been putting out new leathers on a consistent basis. But what do you think some of the hits have been from your feedback from the show in Italy uh, and then what's going, what you guys are presenting at the boot camp thing in New York? Yeah, we're doing, we do, there's always new, I mean, new is maybe a generous term because it's like, it's not always like new. And we talked about this last time. It's like Taco Bell. It's like <laughs> different combination of like the same ingredients to get something different. But uh, yeah, we've been back into the bison stuff. I mean, we've, we, we always tan bison, but we've been coming back through some of that stuff, some more Western looking like shrunken grain, meaning like more pebbled looking stuff. Um, we got a couple new things in that, in that way that are, that are, I think really nice and have been doing pretty well, at least for something that's new. And then, well, name the, them. What are those bison products? I know I have uh, one of them, the Yellowstone. Yeah, right. Yellowstone and Cheyenne are the two that are out there. Um, I feel like you, you always kind of hold back on some of the, the details of your stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I, I kind of want to gloat for you. Um, maybe it's because I see direct like end customer feedback from some of the Yellowstone product. I haven't seen the other one, but I sent you a link before you did. I like didn't, a, I didn't Instagram, read it. <laughs> Instagram, just an Instagram link. Uh, well, here's what yeah, I like I mean, about Yellowstone. Let me just, I don't think, I think it's the first veg bison that is hand tipped that are naturally shrunken too. There's like sort of three difficult or more cumbersome production wise uh, things to make a little bit more challenging to produce um, that I think makes it special. So like veg tan, naturally shrunken bison that's hand tipped. That's Yellowstone. Um, am I missing something there? That's a standout for why Yellowstone is interesting and different. No, that's pretty complicated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, those are, those are, yeah. I mean, and the, yeah. The, so the shrunken thing is hard. I mean, it's very natural. So you get a different pattern, like a shrinking pattern on, on each hide. And what's happening there is we, we like relax, like make the fibers of the hide relax. And then we add something in there that makes them shrink really fast and different parts of the hide shrink at different rates. So the, grain shrinks slower than the rest of the hide. So it, it ends up puckering into these, like, it looks like a, it's like a natural pebble pattern, but it, depending on where it is on the hide, you get a different size pebble. So it gets, you get like a really natural look, which some people, I guess most people in the world these days do with a embossing pattern because you can get instead of, you know, cause you're making the hide shrink. So you're getting a smaller finished piece, which is kind of, you know, you, you don't really want. So if you have a, if you just emboss it, then you get like a full size piece and then the pattern's super consistent. So there's, that's compelling, but it doesn't look, it doesn't look quite the same. Um, so it, it, and also the pattern or, you know, the, the pebbling tends to pull out more if you stretch it when you emboss it, than if you actually do shrink it like the old fashioned way. Um, so that's it's interesting. It's kind of a throw like more traditional kind of throwback way to do it. And then also the tipping, which is we're wiping, 
like hand wiping or hand swabbing dye onto the surface. So since there's that pebble pattern, there's like the tops of the pebbles and then there's the valleys in between. And when you wipe the dye on top, like you just darken the top parts. So you end up with a kind of like a two-tone, like almost like an antique look where you get darker, darker tops and then lighter in the valleys, um, which is... It's super cool. cool. But yeah. it's very, you know, as a maker, it's really challenging to work with because, like you mentioned, the pebble pattern is completely random. You'll get a very coarse pattern in the, in the shoulders and the necks and down through the bellies. Much more coarse, which is for like small leather goods, I think is better looking. Like I think it's really dramatic because you get these huge, like chunky pebbles. <laughs> And then yep. more towards the backbone and the bend area of that bison hide is much more consistent and tight, which is probably better for a shoemaker. But even then, like your cut, you don't want to waste any of it. So it's pretty hard, I would imagine, for somebody to get two matching pieces of footwear, um, which is why you've seen the embossing happen. And the name that comes to mind is Trask. I know they were doing a lot of bison chrome Excel, but it had, it was more of like a print assist. Um, can you dive into Trask for me and what's going on with what's up with Trask? I think they kind of went away and then maybe oh, explain like what a print assist is. Sure. Uh, I, actually have, actually, yeah, I haven't been paying very close attention to what. I heard that they like HS went Trask out of business or sold it or something. Well, I mean, they were a really old company that then got bought. And I mean, they're making, I thought, really nice shoes. But um, yeah. yeah, the print assist. The print assist is, I mean, generally it's, you're taking a piece of leather and then you print it as, as the name implies. And then, which is would, embossing just for clarity. Right. You, you can pick the texture that you want. And then after that, you would put it in a drum and mill it. And the idea is, is that you're, you're kind of encouraging the hide to break up into the pattern that you've put into it already. So it's, it depends on, you know, on a lot of factors, but the idea is you get a slightly more or you have a chance of getting a more consistent pebble pattern by doing it that way than you would if you were to just naturally tumble it. And also you can tumble it for less time and there's some other things going on there, but but that's a pretty common thing to do in a lot of places because you do, like as you were saying, you get completely different, you know, patterning depending on where you are on the hide versus if you do like a print where it's just the same everywhere. Yeah, and it's a, Honestly, it's like a pretty big problem <laughs> to have like that, that yeah. wide range of texture. Well, the shrunken thing, that's, that's why the shrunken, I mean, to your point, the, those bigger, I mean, they're not really pebbles, but like the bigger chunks. Yeah. Like, like I almost think of like a gator, like an alligator scale size, like pebble, which is big. Um, that's why they did, though it was really common to do like just double shoulders that way. So you would just take the shoulders, which are more, have a higher, you know, tendency to, to make those bigger, chunkier patterns and then just do those as the shrunken and then the, the rest of the hide you would tan into something completely different. Makes sense. Uh, so you're not, you're not up to speed on Trask. I, I'd like to. Not the, right now. Yeah. They were doing Chrome Excel, like Bison Chrome Excel. Yeah. Cavalier. Yeah, they were. Yeah. I think it was Whiskey Bison they did a lot yeah, of it. It was a pretty clean look. I yeah. did honestly. I liked, I liked the print assist version of the bison um, because it was so consistent. And I, I, I don't know on the Chrome Excel. 
maybe it's just because I like Chrome Excel is like pretty good good depth and of like a the pull up effect you still have in there, even though it's on the bison. But there is something magical about the natural shrink. And then especially the tipping that we were describing that depth, especially like on the like a toe of a shoe or like a spine of a wallet, you really see a lot of those undertones come through. So the two colors that I've pur- purchased for Ashland are blue, which I'm not sure what you guys call that blue. We just call it royal blue, I think, or we just call it blue. And there's also a bourbon, so a brown and a blue. The undertones of the blue are like a, an electric blue. It's really, really light, vibrant, almost baby blue. And then the peaks of the texture are darker, more navy. So the combination of the two is really nice. You, you can get a little bit more interest in a navy, which can sometimes be interpreted, I don't know, psychologically as like a black in certain situations. But just giving that little accent of blue underneath in the valleys like really helps. And then on the brown, it's more subtle. It's, it's almost more like a caramel color. I should say not brown, but the bourbon color. It's like a little bit more whiskey. It's like a little yellow, not as dark of a brown, but by tipping it with the brown, it gives it like a really, really great depth. And then that last thing with the veg, that's a, that, am I mistaken? I think Yellowstone's a veg, right? Or like non-chrome? Did I, I stump you there? In, in, in the moment, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm All right, either way, what's total, what's the other blank. bison that I didn't read your text message? Cheyenne. <laughs> Tell me what's Cheyenne about and what's the difference between Yellowstone? It's just it's it's not tipped, so it's a more it's a more mainstream, I guess, look because it's not you don't have the highs and lows. But uh, Alan Edmonds did the text that Instagram link I sent you. If you can see it, the 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 it's like a. You're going to make me uh, look at my phone. I do see it. Yeah, it's like a roper boot, uh, like a cowboy boot kind of thing. I think they're... That's pretty clean. Yeah, okay. So not as much of that, like you said, the tipping. There's not as much color depth. Yeah. You know, I wonder if that's the bourbon color that I've been seeing, but I have like the darker version in the Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. I'll tell you this as a... uh, marketer of leather goods it's really problematic the name yellowstone (laughs) as you might imagine where i'm going with this Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to say blue yellowstone it's like it's almost like i have an easier time just telling people it's naturally shrunken bison you know or just bison it's kind of just feedback for you nick they don't always uh they i mean like the the they the collective they (laughs) out there uh don't always consult uh me on all the names for yeah. the leather <laughs> naming is it's it's funny you wouldn't think that that's it's a it's an interesting challenge like it's just it seems like a silly challenge but you you know like i know that yellowstone and cheyenne are related because of the names are <laughs> like <laughs> that's all the stuff is essex the dublin darby Derby. Derby, yeah, it's all. You know, what else are you guys showing there? Are you showing Cypress? Um, I you know I didn't even I didn't even I was just gonna go through everything because John put everything together, and when we got there, I was just gonna go through everything. <laughs> and when sort of it came down that we, I wasn't even gonna go. Great preparation. So I don't even know Nick. exactly. It's terrible, right? I, I, I don't even know exactly what he took, but um, the you know Dearborn we've been showing a bunch, which is that softer, which is like a deer. I mean, it feels like a 
deer skin that looks like a like a deer skin with a larger pill pattern, but it's like the size of a steer hide because that's what it is. So it's you get thicker. It's like a thicker, cleaner deer skin, basically. Super um, so, soft. Yeah, um, which is really nice and but has you know it, its applications are a little more. I don't want to say limited, but um, just because of how naked it is and the way it feels, it just like doesn't. You can't make every single thing out of it. But there's that, and then then there's the whole olive tanned range of stuff, which is expanding constantly as we sort of learn more and more about that and how to use it. Tell me, with the olive tanned, is most of that texture stuff as well? Because I'm kind of noticing a pattern from the first three products that you mentioned. And I'm also noticing a pattern of the market, you know, our customers wanting texture. Um, is, so is the olive tan also textured or just sometimes? Just sometimes. I mean, it's ever, it's a, the olive tan stuff is a, it's just another base tannage that we have. So we can put any of our other tannages over top of that. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't always take and sort of mesh the same way as a, you know, just a traditional, Veg, veg tan base would be if you use tree barks or chrome tan base. So um, you're saying you've done shell cordovan olive tanned? No. <laughs> Have you thought and about probably, it? And probably we won't. No. How about chrome excel? Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. how's that? How's that look? It's fine. It's not. It's just not. We ha- it doesn't. You can't just. You can't always. It's not always like a one to one thing, because the you know the the canvas, like the base that you have to start with is slightly different. So to just do the exact same thing, it's not going to, it won't, it's not going to turn out exactly the same way. So we have a little bit of work to do there. Uh, Maybe it's interesting. It's the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's the, the base is tanned using the, uh, is it, is it extracts? Is there, I mean, they're technically their veg tan, their veg extracts from olive leaves that are a product of, of the olive harvest. So it's like a, it's a real, I mean, the annoying sustainability word, but to take something that's, you know, ends up on the ground anyway, and then turn it into something that can then make leather. It's a pretty interesting, it's a pretty interesting concept. Um, How do you compare it to a tree bark veg? The, the density is different. It's not, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to have quite the density, but that, that could be with how we're treating it afterwards too. Cause we're still learning. I mean, we've, that's probably been something that we've been working with. I would say for the last, I can go look, but maybe like five or six years when we first started trying to figure it out. And then it probably, I think it took us, it took us a th- probably, th- probably three years to figure out how to actually tan it and get certified by the company that developed it. Because there's a company in Germany that uh, that developed the technology, and we have, you know, they, they they come and they teach you how to make it, and then you have to submit samples to them periodically to certify that like that you're making it. There's no chrome in it and all that stuff. Um, so it took us a while to figure that out, and then we still you know we're still making adjustments so that it fits into our product line. But I think that like even in all that time, probably in like the last year, I think is when we've started to figure out sort of what we can actually do with that. And it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's different from a regular like tree bark fetch tange, uh, because it doesn't use the pickles different. So it doesn't use, um, 
I want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's salt free, but it's a, it's a much, it's much, the salt use is much different, hmm. which is another thing that's on the horizon for the tanning industry is going to be to reduce salt usage overall. Does that include chrome salts? Um, no, I think it's, I mean, I think they're, they're talking specifically about like salt during the pickle. Hmm. Um, well, cause I was kind of curious with the olive tan being pushed forward. Is there a movement to, from a, I guess there could be a movement from two different directions, a movement from regulatory bodies saying, Hey, we'd really like you to not use Chrome and from customer demand saying like, I'd really like you to not use Chrome. Is, is there any sort of push in direction from f- away from Chrome, I should say? In some regard, I think so. I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, there's no, that there's no substitution for the performance that you can get from the Chrome base. And I don't think, I don't think, I mean, I guess I don't know of anything that gives you like a one-to-one replacement for a Chrome at any price. Cause the, you know, the Chrome base the tensile strength that you get and the heat resistance, those two things you don't get from any other, from any other, um, option. I mean, I don't, I know you can tan with the aluminum salts too, which is, um, a traditional way to, to tan also. And I'm not exact. I, I would dangerously assume that it's a similar, <laughs> you get sort of similar, you know, performance characteristics, but, um, it's just not as, you know, not as wide, you know, widespread, but, yeah, you just can't you just can't get the same performance, and there are there are certain places where that performance or those you know characteristics are really important. I think it's uh, aluminum tanning was the original baseball leather for ba- like the actual balls, right? Yep, pretty. They cool. might still be. They might, yeah, didn't you guys yeah, do know. that way back? Maybe no, no. There was I th- there was a I think it was a company called Tennessee Tanning which I think Rawlings actually owned. And then I sort of stopped. So they tan track. their aluminum, aluminum leather and then dip it in the mud. You seen that? Yeah, no, the, well, that's the, the yeah. mud baseball guy, the, the Lena Blackburn baseball mud. I don't know what that is. Is that what's Lena called? Blackburn? That's just the name of it's the, the brand. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't know about all that. That seems bizarre. It's, Some, I mean, they do it. It's everywhere. They do all the, like a lot of the footballs, too like the equipment managers they rub the, the mud all over the footballs and they let them sit and then they like i don't i don't like get the it biggest it got to be something to do with ph maybe but i don't know it's a baseball i think, it's, I think <laughs> I've, I've i've had a lot of or not a lot of i've, I've had some conversations also trying to figure it out because it seems like a, you're like a mud salesman it seems ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like even a ridiculous concept but it's the mud is super fine. Like it's like very silty. So I think the idea is it gets into like, and fills in all of the little crannies and gives you like more, it's just super, super smooth. It will gives you more. It gives you like almost like a little, like a grippy quality because you've, you're Wouldn't applying that be backwards. Like when you yeah, want it less it's smooth. Like, yeah. But you're getting like all of these little, like, like granules that are sticking mm. into the, into everything. So it's, and it kills, it drops the shine off of everything too, because you're putting mud on it, but. Okay. So I guess it's kind of significant. It's interesting. I, I was, 
It sounded like a weird voodoo. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because I was watching the the uh, the Bears game. Oh God! On Thursday, they won, and I was watch I was watching the footballs and and how dark, dark brown <laughs> all the footballs are. Especially, I mean, even I mean, they're always different. The, the color is always different than it is when it leaves us because it leaves us. It's like a like a real burgundy color, and then it leaves Wilson's factory uh, like a real burgundy color, and then it gets onto the field and it's like a dark. Like the the. If you were to ask the, anybody what, yeah, color what color is a football, they would not say reddish burgundy. Yeah. Yeah, like the. Uh, uh, the equipment manager just putting like pine tar or whatever all over it. Yeah. Uh, sh- I'll let you search this out. This will be worth it. I'm sure. Uh, no, it's not. Anyway, the, the, football <laughs> that, the football that Justin Fields was throwing was so. I'm gonna, I want to send you a picture of it. It's so it was so dark brown. Okay. It was so it was it was jarring to me almost <laughs> how dark it was. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's interesting. All right, so it's interesting that the different things that people do to performance products, I guess. How, yeah, how, I'm sure some of it some of it is superstition and some of it's actual performance. But let me let me get back on on track here because I want to know what other new products that you guys are are doing um i guess i'll sort of cue you or prompt you with cypress would you consider right. that a new product but or is it more than that yeah no it's it is new it's but it's a combination of existing concepts where it's it's a it's a chrome tan with a super heavy veg retange that then gets waxed on the surface are you saying that you don't have any original thought any longer? <laughs> You're just like re- recombining old stuff. No, I mean it's interesting because that's that product was we made at the specific request of a customer. We're like I like the way this product looks, but I want it to perform like this. So I mean that wasn't even that wasn't even. I mean it was our idea because we ended up making it. But I may have I mean, been that customer, by the way. I don't think you were. No. <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, i think dan know, that's the way dan was trying to do it for us invention works right yeah everyone has the same information so everyone comes up with the same thing around the same time but but yeah it's nice it's a uh, yeah strong and the 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 it looks kind of like dublin i guess but it just has a different grain character because it's dried differently it's dry it's, it's pasted against glass so it has a, a different grain and then it's got a a different break characteristic too just because of how it's because you know it's tanned with different with different uh extracts yeah actually if i'm honest about it i think the break on Dublin and essex is a little bit more pleasant to my tastes or the i mean and i wear a cypress wallet and we sell a lot of them so i i like it but the break is like a little bit because it's been compacted in that pasting drying like the mm-hmm. grain is like a little bit more pushed in so when it creases it, it is like a little it's like more sugary if that's mm-hmm. an appropriate way to put it um i like cypress a lot because of how resilient it is it's in the same way that dublin is resilient but this feels like that addition of the latigo chrome base tannage i think it 
it adds a little bit of extra fill to the fiber. So it's a little bit more dense than the Dublin. So when you scratch it, for example, that wax on the surface, you're more easily uh, we're more able to easily fill in those scratches. You just sort of melt the wax back into place. But there's something about that chrome underneath, and I think the additional fill there that is making it a little bit tougher. Where the Dublin, I feel like sometimes it's a little bit more challenging uh, to get some scratches out of. And then the other thing that we've noticed a lot, I know I always like sort of focus it into like small leather goods, so this may be less relevant for footwear. But um, like for example, on Cordovan if you get the cordovan really hot or if you wear it in your pocket and it's a hundred something degrees out and you're sweating, sometimes you, I, I've seen it on my stuff. I've cooked the shell and you've seen it happen on Dublin as well. I've actually tested it like just for me to like, I haven't done like, Hey, a bunch of people tried this out, but I've anecdotally tested the Cypress in hot weather. It's, it's definitely resilient. So it's, it's, I would say more tough, more resilient than the Dublin. The trade-off, I suppose, it's like a little bit of a less break. Sometimes I think the, and this may be like a production thing for you for you to know about, but sometimes I think it can get a little veiny, like it can, can sort of pronounce the veins a bit. And I wonder if that could be from the heat and the pacing, maybe that needs to be played with, or the heat and like plating, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so like it could be, like the pieces I have have a little bit of veins that don't bother me so much. Um, so maybe that's the trade-off there. You're talking about just for someone that doesn't know what you're talking about. It, it, you're talking there's like a if you look at it from a slight angle in certain light, you can see it's like a lat, like almost like a lattice, kind of like lattice work. Like nothing, it's not pronounced. It doesn't like there's no texture to it, but you can see it in certain light. You're talking about right the veins. Yeah, I mean certainly a more at harsh angles you can see it more but you can kind of see it if i'm honest i can kind of see it all the time um again like it doesn't bother me like i, I do wish it was like mega flat <laughs> and even and with no no texture um it's probably a probably a it's not even a texture of, sorry yeah putting the wax on because the wax probably accentuates those a little bit yeah makes them makes them easier to see and then we have to use heat to get the wax we have to use put heat on more than once to get the wax on the right way. Yeah, for for my taste, I, I I'm currently selecting Cypress over Dublin, and in the past, Dublin has been our number one bestseller and my favorite. So it's that's how good I think Cypress is. Um, I haven't worn it before you've, though. You've cooked a Cordovan wallet. Yep, I wore it in, in my pocket. pocket and just walked for like five miles in the heat <laughs> and cooked it. And what it got brittle or it got cracked? It gets this like. Um, it kind of gets like a dull spot where it's touching your body. So the, the, I think it's the combination of heat and then a little bit of moisture that penetrate um, with that heat that like kind of cook it from the inside. So it really kills the luster um, on one and side. It never, of a, it never comes back. I haven't seen it. I'll show you one if I can dig one up. Hmm. I've also I've had been, sorry. Been wearing cordovan in my entire life and I've never had that happen. You just don't have a hot butt. I guess, I mean, maybe, maybe my body's made to carry cordovan. <laughs> You've never had that happen, okay? No, not not on anything. Belts, shoes. Yeah, it's got to be. It's pretty like hundred plus degrees outside, and you're walking for a while. It it can happen. Here's your and then problem. you sit on it afterwards. It's the problem. Uh, I've also had people or customers of mine 
put their wallet like on a windshield um, in the well, like, in the desert, like in this hot yeah. sun, and it kind of cooks right. it too. Um, I understand, especially if it's for any kind of extended period of time. That I understand. Yeah, my I don't have like a precise number, but my suspicion is like around 130 degrees is when bad things start to happen, and, yeah, and for an extended right amount number. of time. That's the number. Yeah. How do you know that? <laughs> Anything. As soon as you start to get over. 130 degrees for veg in general like it and the high like the higher you get in terms of temperature the less time you have uh i just know that because when we when we set the temperatures on machines to work on the stuff and you know we have to be careful about what temperatures we set on which machines when we're handling cordovan or essex and dublin and all that stuff that we we don't you know we can't use the heat that we would use on like football or, or Latigo. We have to make sure the machine is, you, you know, we do those in the first part of the day. So the machine's not super hot because those, the plates are the you know, workings of the machines take a long time to cool down once they're hot. Hmm. So you were aware of that temperature sensitivity. I'm surprised I guessed the number. Yeah. It, if it makes sense that like, if you think about my argument here is like, if let's say the air temperature is 105 and you're just, putting friction over something for an hour it's gonna get hot and wet yep. you know it's kind of gross <laughs> we had a customer that was doing some trials on on essex and dublin and they were splitting the leather down to like to like one millimeter so like so like super thin or even 0.8 and then they were doing all of these trials to it, like trying to mimic what you're talking about, like in pockets and on dashboards and all that stuff. And they came back and they're like, yeah, we put it in the oven, uh, at like 180 for like three days. And it's like, like <laughs> nothing left. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised. Where do you live? Much, <laughs> I'm surprised there's like as much, I'm exaggerating, but I'm, I'm surprised there's as much left as you're showing me in this picture. <laughs> Like, it actually performed much better than I thought it would have. Oh my uh, god! Yeah, but yeah, it's just they were they. It was their sort of um, entrance into the leather stuff. They hadn't been they'd been using composites and metal mostly, so they that was a normal test for them. I see. I mean, it was it wasn't like a strange test given their given the normal products, but it was just it made me it made me uh, smile <laughs> and not them smile. Um, I just thought of this. We were supposed to get back to Weston on a day that we can have a podcast with Mr. Rose Anvil. Mr. Rose? Mr. Anvil? Mr. Anvil. You're going to get back with a date, right? Can you reply to that? Yeah, I'll reply. <laughs> Do it right now. That'll be an interesting one. Well, the, the reason I thought of him was because you mentioned thinning it down to one millimeter. And I noticed, I forget, he, I think he was talking about a past guest on this show from Portland Leather Goods complaining about how their liners were one millimeter. And I, I kind of don't understand like why there's this interesting notion that people have about thickness. Like why? Th I think that the concept that most people have is that thicker is always better. Is that your, the gist of what you get to? No, no, I don't think so. You, you don't agree with that, but I think, you don't think everybody thinks that? <laughs> No, I think that there is there is a feeling because it's it's very tangible. It's like, oh, this is thick and robust, so it's better than this other thing that's that's thinner 
Um, I think there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot going on. I mean, if it's, if it's thicker, then it hasn't been split probably. So it, it has a better chance of being closer to its original thickness, which would make it just inherently stronger. So there's that part of it, which is true, but that's sort of ignoring everything else. Right. What, what is it backed against? How was it made? What's the tannage? What's the product? I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into, into it. So just saying it's that thicker is better than thinner. I think is a little, I want to be kind of clear. We're talking about the Portland leather video that, uh, that Rose Anvil put out. I think it was like super clickbait title, like absolutely destroying Portland leather goods or something like that. And you know, like I, I felt like we were pretty fair with our interview with Curtis, the owner from that company. But you know, like I asked some pretty pointed questions like, Hey, why don't you make your boots recraftable? And kind of like a weird answer of like, I don't like it. <laughs> like, okay. That's weird. Which is a fine answer. Yeah. yeah I mean, but like also like that it wasn't though, because he's like, Oh, I thought the non recraftable ones were better. And he didn't really have a reason why. Okay. Yeah, it's like they look the same, but I just I didn't like them as much. I, that's besides my point. Is I yeah. think I think criticizing Portland leather goods for using thin leather is is missing the mark because thin thin or thick doesn't necessarily tell you much about the quality. Because I know from my experience, we use I think we use like five different thicknesses in our products. And all of them are nice. It's just there, there's a reason you choose a thicker piece and there's a reason you choose a thinner piece and a reason you choose a piece in the middle. Um, so I guess that's where my head's at. So I don't know. There's like this weird concept like, hey, everything's got to be super thick. And, you know, we're buddies with Brett Feiberg. His boots, I think, are too thick <laughs> for, for, my taste, for my taste. I mean, it's just like everything is like super... I mean, it's nice. It's just very hard to break them in, and that's the trade-off, right? So I think, yeah. What's well, a work boot? I mean, and it's, and I think the stuff that that Weston looks at or likes in general, and he and he says as much as like he likes the like the heavier work boot stuff, which is just not what those patina boots are. I mean, they want they're supposed they you know he, they're trying to approximate the look a little bit, but it's just not the same thing. It's, the other just, it's just supposed to look similar. Right. Uh, and it's, it is a little gross. Some of the like fake welts and stuff that he's, whatever, nah, whatever. Yeah. It's so that's it's been like done so, forever. It's, it's just everywhere. Yeah. It's just like, it's just, it's just everywhere. I think that, I think that, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's a, you can look at it a bunch of different ways. I think that the, you could take issue or feel, or maybe not like the way they're marketing the stuff, but, the boots themselves are what they are. I mean, I think that they're hundred bucks. I mean, it's. I mean, neither of us. I bet they're. Have co- I bet they're them. super comfortable. Yeah, so it's hard honest. for me to I, say they, anything about it. Probably just they probably just don't last fifteen years. Well, so speaking of fifteen years, I've had an indie boot for fifteen years. Quick tangent is perhaps we're spoiling a, a Rose Anvil conversation here. So Weston, if you're hearing this, this is like just <laughs> where I got, where my brain is at. I think some of the conversation will be, but I know there's some like weird, like cult, like Alden fans who I happen to like most of them. Every Alden fan I've met, I really like as a person too. And I guess when there's been, seems reasonable criticism of some of the Alden stuff, my brain goes to, well, Hey, that's like kind of not my experience. 
So 15 years I've had a pair of indie boots and I will say that they are my most comfortable, I think the best looking boots that I have. And they're 15 years. I haven't even had to resole them. Um, so they're just kind of energizer bunnying it. <laughs> uh, so I, I wonder, like my brain goes to this is like, maybe something's changed at Alden that like, I'm just not familiar with if, if people are having bad experiences. Uh, cause I, I don't know like where the, like where the criticism comes from. Cause I just don't see it, you know, but I haven't bought a pair of Aldens in eight years. Maybe I don't, it's hard. Cause I'm just going to sound like you're a shill. I'm yep. a shill. Say it up front. I am, sh- I am totally a shill, but, uh, by the way, are you still selling headphones, Nick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's go full shill. Uh, I am still selling headphones at horrorwind.com. I mean, nothing has really changed there. And like, that's by design. I mean, they just, they know what they know and they don't like to change. I mean, there's a reason that they don't even sell direct to customers is because they've got this model, this very traditional model that works for them. That's been set up and they're just not, they're not quick to make changes. And they're certainly not making changes to save you know, a dollar twenty on a pair of boots. I mean, that's just not. I mean, the book, one of the conversations I had with Art after all this, and I'm sure I annoyed him by even bringing it up, was was like, if if that's like where the Alden brain is at, where we're trying to save, you know, a couple bucks on a pair of boots, like we're already like on the way out. Like where do you think? Where just, do you think their philosophy is then? Where do you think their brain is at? I don't think it's really changed. I think that they're just trying to make, you know, in the challenging sort of world that we're in, in terms of, and I think that people is, is the really the problem for, I don't want to say problem. It's, it's the, it's the, cha- like the main challenge for us right now, or one of the main challenges. And I think that's, that's, that's the case in a lot of the traditional manufacturers where it's like, it's not, it's not a no skill operation and some of them are high skill. And, it's hard work and you need someone that can come and do it every day. Like, you know, every day, every week for a long time. Cause it's a big investment to, to, for us or for, you know, any of the shoemakers to train somebody out. Cause it's not like you're going to tanning the tanning fair and like, you know, you got your pick of, you know, shavers or whatever. Mm-hmm. It means we're going to, you're, you're hiring someone that has no experience and then training them up and hoping that they buy into the job and the, the culture and like the quality and have some pride and connection to the end product, which is not as common. I mean, maybe, maybe people don't think it's common, but it's not as common as, as maybe we would like it to be. And I think that that's the same. That's the same at a lot of places where you've, you've, you're just trying to, to make what you make the same way with different tools, I guess. Do you think it would be fair to say that they ought to hear some of this feedback and consider changing something if appropriate? I don't know. I don't know. To be honest, I thought. Yeah. I mean, there have been times where I, I I look at like some you know older company and be like, why are they not you know doing this? And then I realized that like we're the exact same way. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't. Like we don't mean we don't make the change. And and a lot of times we're aware that there are other 
you know, there are other ways to do things, but we've identified, you know, this is not only is this what we know in the way we've always done it, but we've actually explored the other options. And for, you know, these reasons, like we're going to keep doing it this way. And, you know, sometimes it's the wrong, sometimes it's the wrong decision. I mean, hopefully not very often, but I think that you have to make a calculated choice. You have to make a choice at some point to just to do what you're good at. And the traditional way that's kept us or whoever in business for a hundred plus years, I mean, there's some merit to it. So just to, just to look at it and modernize it or get rid of it because there's another option isn't always the right way to look at it. I don't think. I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I would, you're trying to make an analogy to Horween and Alden, which is, uh, <laughs> you were not me. You, you weren't comparing yourself to the way that they used to, like you were saying, Hey, that's the way things have been done. Like it's kind of hard to make a change here. Like it's been working. Yeah. No, was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the thing I say, the difference though is actually probably we're going to tie the podcast with, you know, new Horween products that you would have shown at boot camp. I haven't seen a new Alden product. I know that they used a different article from you, the, the Lux Arabica a few years ago, but you know, they're certainly not pushing the envelope. Like I feel you are. So they think there's a difference there. And maybe that's the difference is like, it's just really hard to make a new something, you know? Yeah. I think it's different. I think that, I think that we diverge at that point where we're I mean, the businesses are so different. They're just the two. I mean, yeah, we're both traditional manufacturers in the United States. And then I think other than that, things are completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, where we've got, you know, we've got, where Alden's product mix or any, I mean, I don't want to just talk about Alden either, but, but, you know, they've got a, a customer base that is, that wants the traditional product, you know, and we're, and we do too, but we also have to supplement that product mix and base with, uh, articles and lines that are also relevant to whatever's happening out in the world. Like, you know, we, like we want to do business with and make sneakers with new balance and Adidas and, and Nike. And like, we're not going to do, they're not going to buy shell Corbin I mean, or Chrome XL necessarily because it doesn't work for their products. We, you know, we have to, we, in order to do that business, you know, we have to make different stuff, you know, that's, you know, Timberland or, or you know, name any Allen Edmonds, name any customer. Um, that's sort of more on the. I don't know. I guess I don't know where I'm going, but the, but it's it's just a different. It's a different business. I think I'm following you. Right. Yeah. You have to take that call, Nick. Or was that a text? How was that? My, you can blow enough. It's so loud. <laughs> Sorry. Um. I know we got to wrap it up here soon, but am I missing any other new products? Let me try to recap. We got the the new bison stuff, the shrunken bison Yellowstone that is tipped. What was the name of the other bison? Cheyenne. Cheyenne. You had the olive tanned. You got the Dearborn you mentioned. You got Cypress. What else you got that's new, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it's other stuff is, I mean, the other new new stuff is sort of, is us trying to, either refine or 
adjust exist things that are already existing. So they, I mean, they're technically different products, but they're, it's the same base. So it's like a different finishing method to make things flatter or smoother, or, you know, maybe it's this product, but we correct it and wax it. So it's, we're, we're always kind of tinkering. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of that is customer driven. Mm-hmm. And some of it is, you know, there's new products that come out and some of it is, you know, the guy, the, our, our, I'm not so new more than a year now, Victor, the tanner, like he's got a bunch of new Cheyenne and Yellowstone are things that he developed. So, I mean, those are, I mean, he's bringing knowledge that we didn't have and approaching things in a way that we didn't before, which I think is awesome. Um, it's a really nice product. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So we're coming at it from a couple of different angles. Gotcha. All right. I'm going to leave it at that, but, uh, I'm, uh, like I said, selfishly, it would have been amazing to go to this boot camp thing. It's so cool that there's actually something like this domestically. Because I know Linea Pell that you go to every year, or not you, your company is represented twice a year. Twice, yeah, twice a, year. a year. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. I've, I wish I could go to that too. Uh, it's not a consumer show, though. I mean, like the, the thing in New York, I mean, that was like a, that was like more of a, a customer facing. Yeah. Thing where this is, this is like a business to business. Either way, event. I'm a nerd for leather. I would go to either, yep. but it's cool that this is actually attainable to go to. Um, so I'm going to try, I, I re, if they do this again and I hope they do Ben and Ticho and all those guys that please do it again. I would like to just be like a observer there. I think there was, they wanted to me to like show my stuff. And that was actually why I didn't go. Because I'm like, I can't make enough stuff now. Uh, and he's like, well, you should do like a special belt for us. I was like, man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, what am I going to... I'm trying to figure it out still. Uh, but maybe if you give me a whole year, head, heads up, Ben, we'll do you a special cordovan belt. Um, That'd be cool. Yeah, man. Hey, I'm, I'm going to lead off with favorites. Do you even have a favorite? I, I All right. Yes. All right. Okay. Favorites for me. <laughs> Last night we were in the South Loop of Chicago, seeing uh, seeing monuments, and it was great. And adjacent to that venue is Chinatown. So a couple uh, guys and myself went to one of the restaurants. I think it's called Triple Crown. Have you been down to Chinatown, Nick? No. We should go together. We should go together. I had um, normally I don't do dim sum. The last time I had dim sum was actually like a very traditional place in San Francisco. You know, I was like the we were like the only non-Chinese people there. It's like very, very like authentic. And um, basically the gist of it is I accidentally ate shrimp, which I'm allergic to at that place because I couldn't communicate like, hey, I'm allergic. And apparently they have these very, very small shrimps that they use as a, as like a seasoning, like a salt. Mm. And they just throw it in. <laughs> it's like, little, like little tiny shrimps everywhere. So at first... At this thing yesterday, at first I was like, yeah, no, I'll go hang out. But like, I don't know if I want to, you know, die tonight. <laughs> so, uh, bottom line is I'm alive still. <laughs> and good. The, on their menu, it says, hey, you know, give us a heads up if you have allergies. So, they were really good about that for me. Uh, the dim sum there was amazing. I couldn't eat more than half of the stuff because it has those little shrimps in it. But everything I had was super, super good. And it was free. I think three of us ate a ton of dim sum and tea and it was like $40. (laughs) 
So I'll, I'll, uh, my treat, Nick, and then you can take me to a steakhouse. We'll, we'll go together. <laughs> seems like a good treat. That's <laughs> very fair. I'll bring some, I'll, uh, I'll bring some beef jerky for <laughs> next time I see you. What's your favorite? You got something? Uh, yeah. So I, 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 um, went down like a, a weird, like digital watch rabbit hole. I think I was telling you about this a little bit the other day, but I ended yeah. up, I, and I, I want it cause I wanted to wear, like I've got like a, a, a nice watch that I wear most of the time, but then on the weekends I was wearing it and I felt like I'm wearing like sweatpants and I've got like a nice watch on, which felt like a little weird. Um, so I was like, I want to get a watch that's not, that I can just like, cause I like wearing a watch all the time. And, um, so I just started researching and I, I ended up on like the, looking at like Casio G-Shocks for like two weeks straight yeah. and just like looking at the, the sort of, it's an interesting brand, I guess, overall, but I bought, I bought a Casio G-Shock and they've got a number of them. Like a lot of them are made in China and Thailand, but they've got a, a, a bunch of them that are also, that are still made in Japan and they're a little bit more expensive, but they're, but the they're like beefier and like the finishing is a little bit different. It's just like, a, it's just like a slightly elevated product. And so I got this Casio made in Japan. I think like I saw it peeking through your sleeve there. Square. Is that what it is? Black. Yeah. <laughs> you love it. Um, I do. I like it a lot. I kind of don't get the digital watches, but so like, what's, what's the deal with that as opposed to analog? Oh, I mean, it doesn't, it, it's well, I mean, I don't know how nerdy we want to get, but like it's so very nerdy. It's, it's solar. It charges itself solarly. And if it doesn't get sunlight for a number of hours, like the display turns off. So the battery lasts, as long as you, you're like putting it in the sun, like sometimes the battery, like it will never need a battery basically. And then it's radio controlled. So it's make sure the time is exactly right every day. And then it's alarm, you know, uh, an analog watch just tells you what time it is and what the, what the date is, maybe. And then if you if it's a super complicated watch, maybe it'll give you another time zone or a moon phase or I don't want to be like a chronograph, a dick about it, but like, why not wear like an Apple Watch or something? You know, it was stressing me out. Oh, from buzzing on you? <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, I just I because I wore I wore one a lot. I wear one to work out usually, uh, an Apple Watch still. You don't do the like, oh for, the whoop. No, I stopped because it was like another device. I, yeah. like, I like, I actually like the Whoop a lot. And I wore it for, I wore that and another watch like for a while. And it just was too, because to charge it and it's another it's thing. Just like, it's like another thing to wear. Um, but it's yeah. a cool product. But, but yeah, the, you know, and then the, the, the Casio is like kind of indestructible. And also, if it does get destroyed, it's like a couple hundred bucks. And, I mean, which is not nothing, or a but big, it's big timer, but it's less than, <laughs> you know, a fancy dive watch. Yeah. All right. Cool. I like your favorite. I'm going to call it there, Nick. Okay. All right, everybody. Thanks for, uh, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you got questions, send them over to full grain podcast at Gmail. Um, want to thank Nick extra special for Nick pushing this episode to happen today. Cause it, uh, almost didn't. I was kind of going to call it off, but uh, thanks for doing this, Nick. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you doing all the work. Thanks for doing all the work. All right, everybody. See you later. All right.